We're going to be in Judges chapter 2. The uh, last time we finished the first chapter of Judges, seeing basically a string of failures by the children of Israel in eradicating the Canaanites. And today we're going to go into the second chapter of Judges, which we are going to see is really the beginning of sorrow, so to speak, that sets the tone for the children of Israel in the time period of the Judges. Let's start with verse 1. Then the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bohim, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. Okay, Gilgal. We've seen Gilgal before. That was a, a headquarters, so to speak. It was a rallying point for the children of Israel, and it was also a memorial site. Bohim. I can't really find out where it is. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure anybody knows exactly where that place is, but it appears that it was someplace near Gilgal. The word bohim in Hebrew means weepers, which this was a sad place to be as it was a sad message, so it was certainly appropriate. And you see the covenant here between God and his people. It ends up, there's a problem there. It, it's, it's broken, and we're going to talk more about that later. But understand this. The breach is never on God's end. Uh, uh, you've heard the, the common illustration that if we're, you know, we're in fellowship with God and something happens and we feel far away from him, it's not God that moved. He's always in the same spot. Somehow we moved and we need to look at ourselves and see where we've fallen short. Verse 2. Some people may look at this as an angry statement, God chastising his people. That may be the case, but I also look at it as a sad lament. God said, in essence, I promised you, I empowered you, I commanded you. Why did you do this to me? Tolerance of sin, which is what this picture is. The children of Israel started tolerating the, first of all, he didn't obey the commands to wipe out the Canaanites. They didn't. And then there was an attitude of tolerance. And, and there was a progression until they became just as wicked as their neighbors. But tolerance of sin when you tolerate sin, it leads to approval of sin. It's, a, it's subtle, but it happens. Tolerance to approval. Approval of sin leads to practice of sin. Again, it's subtle, but it happens. And the practice of sin leads to destruction. So you may say, well, I'm just tolerating it. And then you find that you're destroyed. Well, how did that happen? Again, it's a slow descent, right? It's subtle. It's a slippery slope. I want to read something that... Wearsby, Warren Wearsby is good at summing things up. He says, um, he says this. He says, for believers today, the first step away from the Lord is, quote, friendship with the, with the world, James 4.4, 4, which then leads to our being spotted by the world, 127. The next step is to, quote, love the world, 1 John 2.15, and gradually become, quote, conformed to this world, Romans 12.2. This can lead to being, quote, condemned with the world, a place we certainly don't want to be, 
1 Corinthians 11.32. The kind of judgment that came to Lot, Samson, and Saul. Pretty, um, you know, pretty poignant message there. But like the children of Israel, Christians can make alliances with the world instead of tearing down the altars. I mean, Christians can be guilty of that too. How many people have committed such grievous sins under the guise of being God's people? Um, And our influence. What is our influence? Well, influence is an interesting thing. It's a very dynamic relationship. Either we are influencing the world or the world is influencing us. There is really no, it's almost like that. You can't sit the fence with influence. You're either influencing other people, maybe non-believers, or maybe worldly or carnal Christians, or they're influencing you. Somebody is rubbing off on somebody. That's an important thing to remember. The other thing that I see here is sins of omission. The children of Israel in the beginning didn't commit a very grievous crime. They just didn't do what God asked them to do. See, we look at the big ones like adultery, murder, thievery, uh, you know, assassinating somebody's character, covetousness. They're positive things. They're sins of commission. The children of Israel, God told them to do something and they didn't do it. It was a sin of an omission. It was just a little omission. It was a mistake. But how many times can God's people be disobedient to God? How can Christians be disobedient to God? How can Christians lead a stagnant life? Because they're just omitting some things. Well, you can't point to adultery in my life, and you can't point to murder. So I'm okay. Not necessarily. Sins of omission can be the first step in that slope towards sins of commission. Or even God's people may be omitting parts of the Bible that they don't like. It's more common than you think. Verse 3, there's consequences. Every decision we make has a consequence, okay? Therefore, I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. Consequences. You know, my heart sank when I read this, because I I just, could you imagine being there to hear that from from the Lord? That's got to be pretty heavy. It's almost like God was saying, listen, you want this, you got it, and then some. When I was uh, a teen, I... I would sneak out and I would smoke cigarettes because I thought that was cool. My friends were doing it. I had some bad friends. but uh, So my stepfather, you know what, at the time I didn't like him. But he actually was, well, after you hear this you might not say that, but he taught me some good lessons. He actually one time, it was very interesting, probably today he'd get in trouble for diapers, but he actually stuffed the cigarettes in my mouth. He said, you want these cigarettes? And he, you know, he didn't beat me up, but it, I got the picture, you know what I'm saying? But I see that the children of Israel, they tolerated it, they they played with it, and then God said, fine, you want it, you got it. Now they're going to be a snare to you. You you, you can fellowship with them, go ahead, go ahead, go, have at it. And you're going to see the problems that it's going to cause by doing that. You wanted to toy with these people, you wanted to toy with their gods, now they're not going to be driven out, and their gods are going to become a snare to you. It's almost like that, that phrase, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. The illustration commonly, and adultery is the big illustration because unfortunately it happens so much in our society, but the person who, who has this excitement with someone who's not their spouse and this adulterous relationship, it's exciting, it's, it's titillating, right? And sometimes they'll leave their spouse for this, this secret stolen water is sweet, you know, this affair. And then what happens is those people end up getting married and then they have problems. It's almost like you wanted this. You thought it was so great and this was the person of your dreams and the person who strokes your ego and all that kind of stuff and bam, you got him. 
and now you got problems. So it's just that's the way sin is. Ignoring sin, toying with sin, again, it'll be a snare, a trap, a thorn, and a destroyer. The second thing that I see that's interesting here is, did you notice the mode, okay, the mode that God comes to his people to show them how much he cared? There's a lot of care in here, whether you realize it or not. Um, he visits, God visits his people directly to give them this news. And you may say, well, it says the angel of the Lord. I believe if my recollection serves me, the angel of the Lord, the word angel in the Hebrew is malek, which means messenger. In the Greek, when it's translated messenger, angels, the literal word is angelos, which, again, means messengers. Uh, There are times in the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where the word angel or messenger is used, malek, but it's used for a person. This person was a messenger. So the word doesn't necessarily mean uh, the being, but it means the office, if you understand what I'm saying. And what I'm saying is that a lot of Bible commentators believe that the angel of the Lord in this instance was actually God himself. He was, he was giving the message, right? Uh, almost like what they call the Christophany, an appearing of Christ in the Old Testament prior to his incarnation. A little hard to grasp, but remember, the second person of the Godhood existed eternally. He didn't just was born in the manger. He was there from eternity past. And another thing to back that up is he says specifically, when an angel would come to his people, he would say, you know, thus saith the Lord, God says to you, here's the message. Well, here, the angel of the Lord is saying specifically, I led you, I brought you, I swore to you, I will. Reinforces that person of the Godhood. Okay. Verses 4 and 5, again, Bohem comes up again. The word uh, means weepers, and that's appropriate. When you walk away from the Lord, it's only going to bring pain, heartache, and weeping. I actually like the way uh, names in the Bible are very descriptive. Geography, uh, right? Where the waters were bitter were called Mara, which means bitter. If you're moving into the neighborhood and you're by a stream and it's called Mara, bitter, maybe it's a good idea not to use that water as a source. Dig your own well. Or um, imagine moving into a neighborhood and it's named poison or death. Maybe it's time to say, hey, baby, maybe we shouldn't stay here. Maybe we move on to the next town. But I just like the way everything, whether it was a person's name or a geographical location in the Hebrew, when they named it, there was a characteristic of that name. It appears also that the children of Israel may have repented. Because if we read the text, it says that they wept. Right? Repentance. They wept and they sacrificed to the Lord there. But it didn't last. It was a cycle. Shallow repentance does no one good, least of all the person in sin. Um, Again, there was a lot of, oh, I'm sorry, heartache, heartbreak, you know, the pain, the suffering. It's too much for me to bear. And then it wasn't long before they would go back into that sin again. And you're going to see a lot of these cycles in the book of Judges. Now, you may say, What's wrong with these people? Why couldn't they get it? But we have the Holy Spirit, and we can go through those cycles ourselves, can't we? You know, we, we do something wrong. The Lord is merciful to forgive us. The Lord covered it, covers it. We have fellowship with him again. We walk away. We do something we shouldn't do, and we're in the same boat all over again. So I, I, over, over the years, I try not to be too critical of the children of Israel because I think human nature is human nature, you know. Verse 6. 
And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance at timnath Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Now, some of this gets to be a little confusing. If you're, if you're in the book of Isaiah or some of the prophetic books, you'll see, uh, okay, we're in the present, we're in the future, now we're in the past, now we're in the present. kind of gets a little bit like that with Judges. Um, this is more of a, verses 6 through 10 is a more of a historical retrospect. Um, again, we're looking at the changing of the guard, so to speak. One generation to the other to make the point that another generation arose who did not know the Lord. So again, if you're trying to follow it chronologically, as we get further into Judges, you can see that chronological pattern, but right here in the beginning, it can be a little confusing. Um, I'm going to read verse 10 again. It says, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. There's another verse in the scripture in the book of Joshua. Um, I'm sorry, I forget which book it is now. It escapes me. It might have been Judges. It says, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This is another poignant verse. Another generation arose that did not know the Lord. Why didn't they know the Lord? Why wouldn't my kid know the Lord? What did they do during the appointed holiday celebrations when God was at the center? How could they not know the Lord? There were certain celebrations that they were supposed to follow and they were commanded to follow and they did follow. And God was at the center of those holiday celebrations. So how could they not know the Lord? There's a, a woman that, that my family is friends with, a woman that grew up with my mom. And, uh, gee, we know her for decades now. She's an avowed atheist, but she's Jewish. And the rabbi allows her to teach at the temple. Now, I, this, is, this is what blows my mind. We've actually, and we, we love her, you know we, you know, we hope that she gets saved. But she's an avowed, hardcore atheist. God doesn't exist. And they're allowing her to go to the temple, which is a place where it's surrounded by, you know, you would think they worship God there. And they let this woman teach in the temple. It, it totally escapes my mind. So when I guess I have questions about what's happening here, how do you separate it? It happens today. Even a lot of churches today, what are they teaching? A lot of churches don't even use the Bible anymore. They're teaching pop psychology or something from the, the, latest, the latest author. But they're not teaching the Word of God. But it's a church, right? We gather together to celebrate Jesus Christ. So it happens. What are we teaching our children? Could this happen to our kids and our grandkids? What are the ramifications of the next generation not knowing the Lord? Well, let's read on. Verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. 
Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. So the answer to my last question is right here in verse 11. What are the ramifications of the next generation not knowing the Lord? Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. A verse 11 will always proceed after a verse 10. And I guess what saddens me is our country, where we're going. I love my country. I'm fiercely patriotic. But, you know, there's a dichotomy there. I'm also grieved over just some of the awful things under the name of pleasure, what we import and export, you know. Slave, um, human slavery, sex slavery is is a viable business in the United States. Um, It's an underground business. I mean, pornography, we could go into all the most debased things that are happening in our country. But, it, you know, kids, are, kids go to school, can't have the Ten Commandments. People go to court. They actually have courts now. The ACLU has fought to put, you know, it's engraved, the Ten Commandments in stone, uh, words from our, our founding fathers about God. And the courts, this is the insanity of it, have put blankets, and they've, they've actually troweled... Um, concrete and filled in all the engravings of these historical monuments just to eradicate God. Well, sure, somebody, a kid who grows up in the school system doesn't know the Lord. It's not being taught by the parents. He gets in trouble with the law. It's not being taught in the the courts. Well, what's going to stop him from murdering and raping and doing whatever he can? You know, he's he's taught that, you know, his his great-grandparents were sea slugs. So get as much as you can in this world because when you die, you cease to exist. What do you expect people to do? And this is what's happening here. Verse 13. It says, They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. Who are these people? (laughs) Well, the Baals and the Ashtoreths were male and uh, female false gods, respectively, of the Phoenicians and the Canaanites. Their neighbors, the ones who were surrounding them, right? Actually, the word Baal means Lord master or possessor okay the actual word it's not just the name of false god it means lord master or possessor and that's what happens when you reject god you become a slave to sin it possesses you the one you serve is the one who will be your master and i drove that home the last few sundays when you make a friend to sin it's just a matter of time before it entices you and destroys you and that's the funny thing about sin it is again it's appealing, it looks good on the surface. Actually, when you engage in it, it seems like, hey, this works for me for a time. It appeals to the flesh. But there's a courting period. It's almost like a dating period. Sin courts you. It's on its best behavior. It looks appealing. It tells you what you want to hear. It's like a, it's like a relationship. And then when it entices you and it gets you hooked, after it promises you all kinds of things, once it has you, it turns on you. It enjoys watching your torment and destruction and seeing you squirm. That's what sin does. Anyone who's engaged in sin knows that if they do it for long enough and they don't repent, it's devastating. Verse 14 and 15. So, of course, the anger of the Lord is is aroused against Israel. He delivers them. They're plundered. They're despoiled. Um, There's calamity. Uh, They can't get a handle on their situation, and they become greatly distressed. Now, this may seem harsh, but the Lord did, did warn them. And, you know, I hope that you know, I should probably say this more from the pulpit on Sunday. You know, we're in the New Testament. You see grace. You see forgiveness. You see um, 
people's lives change when they when they receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But, you know, I tell you what, I don't think that as people of God, we have a healthy understanding of God until we understand the entire counsel of God. Again, why do we need a Savior? Because we're saved from some awful things. And I think it's good to definitely go into the Old Testament and really get a foundation of what we're looking at here. What about grace? What about forgiveness? Some people have a problem with what the Lord did here. Well, that's only offered to the repentant. Furthermore, punishment, discipline, and correction equals love in the Bible. The Bible says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The one who flatters you is not your friend. It's the one who's straight up with you and honest to your face is the one who's your friend, and that's the one who loves you, although it may not seem that way at the time. I was blessed because as a new believer and as a new husband, you know, I made a lot of mistakes, and you know, I, I flirted with sin. And I remember my, my mentor, one of my mentors, Pastor Luis, who has a, a church up in Kearney, was very, he actually at times would wag his finger in my face. That's a little unorthodox, but you know what? He loved me. And I, I might, you know, there was times where I got a little angry at him and I was, you know, I felt myself getting a little defensive. But because I loved him and respected him, I listened to him. And you know what? He never steered me wrong. Whenever he was correcting me, whenever he was rebuking me, I knew that he loved me. And looking back, um, you know, we've, we're busy now. We're both pastors, separate churches. You know, I, I, there's always a warm spot in my heart for Luis. You know, he's a strong man, but he, he loved me. And he still loves me. He's still around. <laughs> Hebrews also said, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, judgment starts at the household of God. If God loves you, he will correct you. He will allow things in your life to happen to correct you and chasten you. It's, it, it means love. The second thing is, um, imagine being at war with God, at odds with God. God still loved his people through this. You know, God's desire was always that they would turn. He kept saying to turn, to turn, to repent, to come back, to um, to forsake them, you know, if you will, will repent, I will, I will heal your land. I will, I will, you know, bring everything back. I'll restore the years the locusts have eaten. Uh, so he was always looking for them to repent and turn around. But again, being at war with God and, and having a situation where now God is bringing calamity on you, man, I, I think of that and I cringe because Romans five tells us that we can have peace with God when we repent, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We have peace with God. There's a ceasefire in effect. Um, and, and I read this and I think about my old life but prior to becoming a Christian. And I was, my spirit was at war with God. And now being at peace with God, I, I never want to go back to those days. I'd have to be crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's sad to see somebody get overtaken and, and backslide and, and fall into a grievous sin and, and go back that way. You know, it's, it's really a sad thing. Verse 16. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. The Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead <laughs> that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. 
God always makes a way of escape. Again, he's, you know, even though he brought that calamity, he heard the groanings of his people. He was moved with compassion as a, as a loving father, and he gave them another chance. You know, he, you know I, okay, I could see that it's really tugging on your heart. I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to raise up Othniel. I'm going to raise up De, um, uh, Deborah. I'm going to raise up uh, uh, Samson. And they're going to deliver you from these people and from your oppression. And, oppression. and you're going to experience prosperity again. You're going to experience freedom and freedom from slavery and freedom from their plundering your crops and plundering your family members. And then they went right back in. And when the judge was dead, they would behave more corruptly and more wickedly than before. God always is willing to, to deliver his people. And he always offers hope. He raised up judges. They were deliverers. They were redeemers. They were a type of Jesus Christ. Um, Moses and Joshua were, and now the judges are. Okay, in verse 17 it says, but they wouldn't listen to the judges. And we're gonna, again, the cycle of sin is the sin. There's the problems that come from sin. There's the groaning, and then there's the remorse. Oh, Lord, please help us. And then God brings help. And then they go into the sin again. And it just goes around and around and around. That's what we're going to see through this book. But sometimes we as Christians can be guilty, and again, those cycles. Sometimes we can take advantage of God giving us another chance. And we do the same things, you know, and I don't know why we do it. And then God gives us another chance. And, and the Bible says in uh, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's absolute. Lord, heartfelt repentance, please forgive me. I don't remember it as the east is to the west. <laughs> and then sometimes we get a little, a little, um, a little prideful, a little, we, we pull a little bit away from him, and then we get caught up in something, and then we have to ask for repentance again. So, verse 20, the last few verses. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Again, God left the enemy as a test. Did God break the covenant or agreement? Would God ever lie? Of course not. An agreement or a contract is only valid if one or two, unless one, or, one of the two parties nullifies or avoids it. And we see that today in legal um, writings and a lot of our things that we do today comes from the scripture. Again, if, some, if one of, of the two parties is in agreement and one says no or they nullify it, it's called breach of contract. Even, there's even a provision for divorce in God's word when marriage is violated. When one of the two parties goes off and they stray and they break that contract, there is a provision in the scripture for that other person to seek a divorce. Now, can they choose to forgive the person and stay in the marriage? Sure they can, but they also have a way out because the other person violated the contract. And it's interesting because God made covenants with his people and he, he acted as a husband to them. Um, I, I have to find in the concordance where it says that, but God says, I was a husband to them. And I believe he says that more than once. It was like a marriage contract with him and Israel as his bride. So we see that God leaves pockets of resistance as a test to the children of Israel. Uh, and again, we see Joshua's name come up. We see Joshua's name come up a lot. 
uh, again, but we're looking at this as more of an aerial view, all right? Because God sees outside of time. Quote, a new generation rose up that did not know the Lord. I think that the most powerful verse in this whole thing is verse, uh, is verse 10, I believe. Yes, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord. Now, wouldn't that be awful to put in our church bulletin? <laughs> so, I mean, certainly you would look at that and go, that's, that's a little bizarre. But the question is, what about, you know, our, the next generation in our country? What about the next generation in the church? We better not think that this can't happen to our next generation just because we are a Calvary, you know? We, there's still, we still have to teach. We still have to be an example. You know, we still have to pour into the youth. Um, and we better be praying and teaching because if we don't, we're going to be heading down the same road as the children of Israel if we're not already there in this country. Uh, comfortable friendships, Christian bubbles, uh, you know, we need to look past that and start evangelizing, teaching, and pouring into the youth. Uh, so, and that's that. Let's pray.